Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujiyadeen. Today is Wednesday, January 5th. Coming up, an EF5 tornado killed 161 people and destroyed a third of Joplin, Missouri in 2011. Now the city has rebuilt, but the psychological pain continues. You never get over it. It just gets less raw. Plus how some black students and parents in Kansas City are coping with racism in school. But first, some headlines. New COVID-19 cases in the Kansas City area have climbed to a record high following the winter holidays. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. More than 2,000 new cases were reported on Tuesday, which includes many from the New Year's holiday weekend. That's the largest single-day count that Kansas City has seen so far. An average of 182 people are now hospitalized with COVID-19 in metro hospitals just under their peak level. Dr. Stephen Stites of KU Hospital warned that their patients are overwhelmingly unvaccinated. This is a dangerous moment. We're not trying to scare you. We're just trying to be honest with you. Statewide, both Kansas and Missouri are now averaging their highest daily case counts ever. In Missouri, the most recent data from the state health department shows almost 39,000 new COVID cases between December 26th and January 1st. 2,700 people are hospitalized with COVID. Kansas saw almost 15,000 new cases, 43 new deaths, and almost 146 new hospitalizations between December 29th and January 3rd. That's also according to the state health department. Jackson County and other local governments are appealing a Cole County judge's ruling that health orders aimed at curbing COVID-19 violate the Missouri Constitution. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. In November, Judge Daniel Green struck down regulations issued by the state health department authorizing local health authorities to issue mask mandates and other health orders. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt refused to appeal the judge's ruling. Jackson and other affected counties then sought to intervene in the case, but Green refused to allow them to do so. Now they've appealed Green's denial of their intervention motion to the Missouri Court of Appeals. They're also challenging the substance of Green's ruling. Among other points, they say the legislature specifically gave the state health department authority to enact public health regulations and local health agencies the ability to enforce them. Tomorrow, the Johnson County Board of County Commissioners will discuss whether to renew a mask mandate for schools that enroll students up to sixth grade. Ahead of that meeting, more than 200 Kansas City area doctors sent an open letter to county leaders and school districts, urging them to reinstate mask mandates for all students, teachers, and staff in all schools. Pediatrician Rupal Gupta said universal masking would slow the spread of COVID-19. I want our kids to remain in school, you know, I I want to see the teachers be able to go to school and not be worried that they are going to not be able to teach for the next couple of weeks due to contracting COVID. The Shawnee Mission School Board met in special session on Monday night and voted to keep masks optional in middle schools and high schools. 
In recent months, Black students and parents from across the country have reported incidents of bullying and harassment at school. KCUR's Luke Martin reports for some in the Kansas City suburbs, racist bullying remains a daily obstacle. The first time Nadia Curran Thomas talked to her daughter about race, she was just a kindergartner in the Liberty, Missouri School District. Mayora admits she had a meltdown that day, partly because she couldn't communicate. What she and her mother still don't understand, 13 years later, is why it took seven police to escort her to the principal's office. At that point, we immediately took her to Aunt Donna's house, the daycare. And Aunt Donna literally sat Mayora down and told her, you're out here with these predominantly white folks. They already think you're less than, they already think you're insignificant. You are not allowed to show them that. You are there to show them how bright you are. The experience was traumatic and stuck with Mayora, who now attends college in Philadelphia. I went through a lot of trauma at a place that was supposed to be safe. Unfortunately, Mayora's experience as a black student and athlete at a predominantly white school isn't that unique. Nadia and Mayora say things got worse during the Trump administration. Oh, we've seen it on the softball field. We've seen it everywhere. We've seen it everywhere. And the thing is, we don't give reactions. Because the minute we give a reaction, we're the problem. We're the problem. Recent reports of racism at school or school-related functions have emerged in Blue Springs, Lee's Summit, Raytown, and Park Hill School Districts in Missouri, and Olathe and St. James Academy in Kansas. But Stacy Nell, a former math teacher and executive director of the Kansas African American Affairs Commission, knows racism has long been a fact of life. To a certain extent, it's just it's Tuesday in America. There's always been this issue of how do we navigate the predominant society that doesn't look like us. Nell is black, her husband is white, and they have two daughters in the Olathe School District. She's told them the world sees them as black, and it affects how they're treated. Still, Nell thinks schools have managed a few steps forward. The fact that sometimes progress is messy and painful and bloody does not mean that it is not still progress. Racist incidents aren't happening more frequently, she says. They're just publicized more often. It's been a problem in America literally since the inception of America. And I think that that truth is what's making certain segments of the dominant society very uncomfortable. That unease has bubbled up in school board meetings, particularly over critical race theory, a legal framework that says racism is not just the product of individual bias, it's embedded in legal systems and policies. This year, Missouri's Board of Education said only one district there includes CRT in curriculum. Kansas's Board of Ed says CRT is not and has never been part of academic standards. But the backlash could impede educational equity and the teaching of African-American history, advocates say. Good evening. During a school board meeting in October, Olathe East senior Javon Hollinshed was one of several people to discuss race and equity. As our community continues to diversify, we have to let our education reflect that. We can't let our students of the future be fooled into thinking that they don't have roots in this country. According to the Roots of Structural Racism Project, suburban areas on both sides of the state line have grown increasingly diverse. Those students deserve to have a women's studies class or a Latinx class or a black history class. They deserve to have pride in themselves. In response, districts are talking more about diversity, equity, and inclusion, encouraging professional development for staff, and hosting public forums in response to racist incidents. Ephraim Taylor is black and has a grandson at Blue Valley North, over the years, Taylor has seen interest in equality wax and wane more than once. He calls the latest surge a gimmick. To be honest with you, until old people die, 
and you've got more of the mixing of the race, we're about five generations away from America changing. In the meantime, Taylor and many other black parents continue sending their kids to predominantly white suburban schools, despite the challenges. It's difficult, but, but you need something to just step in and say, stop, we're going to 2022, just stop. Taylor says Johnson County has great schools academically, but they still have room to grow. And why shouldn't his family, he asks, help push them closer to the American ideal? For KCUR 89.3, I'm Luke Martin. As communities across the Midwest try to rebuild from a tornado outbreak, Joplin, Missouri might offer some insights. An EF5 tornado destroyed one-third of the town in 2011, and the lessons learned since have been applied to disasters around the world. KCUR's Frank Morris reports. Lead and zinc mining built Joplin, Missouri. Manufacturing and trucking sustained it, but a Sunday evening tornado in May of 2011 mowed down and chewed up fully a third of this largely working-class city. The storm took 161 lives and destroyed $3 billion worth of property. Visiting Joplin now, it's kind of hard to tell. That is, unless you know what to look for. If you're from here and you, and you look out over this landscape, I still see the scars, and I see empty lots, and I know where people died. Ashley Micklethwaite was president of Joplin School Board when the tornado struck. She's standing on a rise built on the wreckage of a hospital destroyed in that storm. Ten years ago, the view from here was heaps of crumpled, splintered rubble stretching for miles. Now it looks tidy. New buildings and small trees growing between stretches of open space. But Micklethwaite says even all these years later, the pain still remains fresh. You never get over it. It just gets less raw. You have to understand the terror of that evening. Tiffany Stout, a human resources director here, narrowly survived. She was wedged in a hallway with her husband Shane and their two small children. It was almost instantly the roof came off of our house and I could feel us coming off the ground and Shane had his arms over the top of us trying to hold us down. You know, you kind of have an out-of-body experience. I remember hearing this awful screaming, and then I realized it was me screaming. When she crawled from the wreckage covered in mud, splinters, and insulation, her neighborhood, as she knew it, had vanished. Stout's daughter, Allie, was just three when the tornado struck. And like many children here in the weeks following, she relived the storm over and over again. She called it playing tornado. We spin around in circles and we get a new house and the line does and it's blasting off and we have to run again. Fast forward ten and a half years, and the tiny girl caught in the imaginary whirlwind is now a confident, athletic 14-year-old. But Ali Stott says she still gets nervous when it's stormy. And she keeps her most important possessions close at hand. My tornado bag is what I like to call it. And um, I have it right over here. So it's just this little backpack. And inside I have my blanket that I liked to have when I was a kid. And then I have Pooh Bear. He's, those both two survived the tornado. Tiffany Stout says it's easy to tell people who survived the tornado. Because I know I have to, I have to talk to myself like, okay, breathe. You can't, you can't start crying. You can't freak out and keep it together and let's be logical. 
Joplin psychiatrist Charles Graves calls her response normal and says that the old adage, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, doesn't apply here. In fact, it's backwards. He says that trauma can make people more vulnerable. And so because this was such a massive trauma and so many people were exposed, that is an environmental hit to them. Graves says that kind of environmental hit or shared trauma can show up in higher suicide or drug abuse rates. But he says there can also be an upside. I think there's a psychological awareness across this community. There's an awareness that life is precious and, and short and, uh, and you don't have control over everything. But that realization is hard won. And Tiffany Stout says her heart aches for Mayfield tornado victims. She says she knows what they're in for. Um, you know, you're scared and you're thankful to be alive. And in the days and the weeks and the months that come where you're looking for things that you can't find and you realize, oh, that's gone. And then dealing with the insurance, finding a new home, and then this that fear. And there's anger, too. Anger that can worsen as the recovery drags on. Because something as profound as a tornado doesn't heal itself in a year or two. In Joplin, it's taken a full decade. And some residents are healing still. For NPR News, I'm Frank Morris in Joplin, Missouri. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Luke's story about racism in schools and Frank's story on the Joplin tornado, visit kcur.org, where you can find more stories from Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll look back on the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.